0: 2021 may not have turned out the way we thought it would, but that didn't stop God from reminding us that He is in control. He's shown us that He cares about everything from the tiniest details of our lives to the biggest. Let's take a look at some highlights from our Sagebrush family over the last year.
1: Another year come and just like that, Another year gone, 2021 flew by and we did everything we could as a church to glorify God. Let's take a look back at what's gone on here at Sagebrush over the last 365 days. This summer, both X Camp and Rally were in full swing. Because you decided to step up, we had 585 volunteers and had the privilege to share the love of Jesus with 2,505 kids and students through worship, teaching, and fun. Here at Sagebrush, we know life change happens best in small groups and we were able to see that happen in the 310 small groups we have in person and online, with a total of 3,101 people throughout our Sagebrush community participating in a small group. We launched a successful TV program that reaches the entire state of New Mexico, the city of El Paso, and the entire nation of Belize, as well as a successful online and on-demand streaming platform where you can watch Sagebrush at any time, anywhere in the world, all throughout the year because of your willingness to serve our Pitstop ministry has been able to help the elderly and single moms with basic car repair by changing oil, brake maintenance, belt replacement, and more. And this year, we were able to assist around 300 people in need with their car maintenance. We went all out for our annual Stages of the Cross walkthrough experience. We saw 5,260 people come through to gain a better understanding of what was happening each day on the way to Easter Sunday. Through Community Connect, over 2,300 people received food, clothing, and personal care items to help them in their time of need. Sagebrush is one church with many locations, and our multi-sites gathered school backpacks and gave them to children in their communities. Our New Mexico locations were able to bless 1,383 kids with brand new backpacks. And our Sagebrush Belize campus gave out 350 backpacks, each one including a special toy for Sagebrush Belize Toy Drive. In addition to that, Sagebrush Belize was able to give out 600 meal packages to families in need. M1 Missions had a busy year preparing for what's to come. Because of your generosity, we were able to send $10,000 worth of Bibles to the Middle East and $15,000 worth to deploy troops. We've been able to continue work in Egypt, and we've sent $30,000 to help build a church. We were able to purchase a food container with 250,000 meals for Nicaragua, as well as $50,000 was given toward the construction of a church in Nicaragua, and $40,000 was given towards a church in the Dominican Republic. This year, we were able to start an Avance soccer program in Panama and an Avance sports program in the Dominican Republic. After an earthquake in Haiti, we were able to send a Haitian medical team out where over 1,000 people received care. Among the many things we were blessed to take part in this year, we got to fund a chicken project in Zambia for a Christian school, and now we're in the process of building a church facility in Kaaba, Liberia. It was an honor to raise money and fill bags for our troops this holiday season. In total, we had 1,200 hero bags completed and 30,000 raised and sent out to bless the men and women who serve our country. And thanks to you, we were able to raise $40,000 through Spooktacular, our annual drive through experience where families get to see their favorite superheroes, princesses, and characters from movies and cartoons. With over 2,000 tickets sold, we saw 10,000 people come through with over 400 team members to help make the event happen. Every cent that was raised is going to build a brand new church in Haiti. Feed My Starving Children is a nonprofit that works with ministries and organizations like Sagebrush across the globe to end hunger. This year in total, the Sagebrush community was able to pack 77,000 meals for them. Christmas tree lighting and Christmas at Sagebrush was an incredible experience. To cap everything off, we had the privilege of baptizing during our Christmas services, which means that by the end of the year, we got to see 903 people publicly profess their love for Jesus Christ through baptism. We really wouldn't be able to do any of this without our 2,500 VIP team members using their gifts to serve throughout the church and community. Each year, we look forward to what God has planned for us. But first, We want to say a big thank you to every single one of you who has prayed for, served, and been giving of your time and finances toward the mission that God has called each and every one of us to. We know the best is yet to come, and we believe that God has big things in store for us in 2022.
0: God is so good. And even in tough times, we've still been able to see him move in our local communities, throughout ministries, and across the globe. Coming up next, we're going to the mountains to hear about God's love.
2: walking the wayside, lost on a lonely road. I was chasing the high life, trying to satisfy my soul. All the lies I believed in left me crying.
3: Bye.
0: great reminder. Nothing can separate us from God's love. For the next part of our service, we're taking a look at our favorite teaching moments from 2021. Make sure to check out full teachings at sagebrush.church watch or go to sagebrush.church services to view times for in-person, online, and other TV times.
4: Todd, are we talking about death again today? I don't want to talk about death. I want to talk about life. Nobody wants to talk about death. Years ago, there was a song came out by Dave Cratter. that says, everybody wants to go to heaven, but nobody wants to die. But we all know that that day is coming, right? Every once in a while, I'll get a shot to the ticker, a kind of a reminder that I'm getting older and getting closer to Jesus than ever before. I turned 50 just a few years ago. Turned the big five of 50. That's what I turn. I turn fitty. What's the benefit in turning fitty? I don't know. I was hoping you might have an answer to that question, to be honest with you. I have no idea what the benefit is in turning fitty, other than the fact that you get to have a colonoscopy. That's what you get when you turn fitty. Now, some of you are over the age of 50 and you have put off getting your colonoscopy. Would you please do your pastor a favor? Put down your stubbornness and your pride and go and get yourself a colonoscopy. We want you here on this earth as long as God wants you on this earth. And don't be stupid and not get a colonoscopy. So here I am. It's time for me to get a colonoscopy. My wife said, well, you turned 50 now, so you get a colon." Yay, colonoscopy. Well, it came in a box in the mail. You know, and, and you have to consume all of this the day before you have the actual colonoscopy. Preparing for the colonoscopy is worse than the actual colonoscopy. So I began to eat the stuff that was in there. There was a bunch of laxatives, I had four different laxatives that I had to eat. And then there was a 64 ounce of bottle of fluid I called liquid death. That's what that basically was. And I drank all that down. Now, a couple of pieces of advice as you're preparing for your colonoscopy. Number one is never trust a fart. All right, that's the first one. <laughs> (laughs) Don't trust it. Not even a small one. It'd mess you up. I'm just saying, man, don't do it. Don't do it. Okay? The second thing is, is after you've had the laxatives and you drank the fluid, the death fluid, don't go shopping. Okay? Don't do that. Stay, stay at home. Stay near the bathroom, okay? Because when it hits you, about two, three hours later, it hits you. It hits you hard. So I remember sitting there and making noises that I'd never made before in my entire life. And my legs went numb. I remember that. Now I remember the next day when I weighed myself, I'd lost five pounds. I remember that as well. That was crazy right there. So the morning came for the colonoscopy, and I had one little prayer. Me and God, we got kind of a sense of humor with each other, and I pray some of the silliest prayers sometimes. And I just prayed a little prayer. I said, hey, God, if it'd be possible, because it's a colonoscopy, if it'd be possible, is it, it, could we have no one from sagebrush there? That would be great, okay? It's just... Everybody be a heathen, you know, everybody be a pagan and nobody know me, that would be that'd be great. So I went in and the, there was two receptionists and both of them ladies were super sweet and uh, neither one of them went to Sagebrush. Didn't know who I was. I said, that's great. Thank you, Lord. That's so wonderful of you. So I went in and the pre out nurse was there and she got my IV ready to go and she's talking to me, asking all the questions and she did not have a clue who I am either. I thought, this is fantastic. God, you're so good to me answering my prayers like this. I appreciate it so much. So I put on my backless gown. I'm sitting there and in and the gurney waiting for my turn. I'm about two minutes away from the procedure when the curtain opens up and there's two nurses that are looking at me And they said, we want to meet you, we both go to Sagebrush. (laughs) Yay! Nice to meet you. And then one of the two said, I get to be in your procedure today. (laughs) Now, I found out later on that my wife had prayed that someone from Sagebrush would be in the procedure. Because she thinks I get better medical care when a sagebrusher is taking care of me. I don't know about that. All the medical professionals have been nothing but great to me. But those two ladies were sweet as they could be. And so one of them got to be a part of my procedure. So they know me in a way no one else does, okay? <laughs> and I was a little nervous the night before because uh, my father-in-law refused to get a colonoscopy. And then one day he uh, had some really bad cramping. And he went to the doctor and he got checked. And they said you need a colonoscopy, and the cancer had already overtaken. He had waited too long. And I don't want that to be for you. But I was clean as a whistle. Not one polyp. I'm good to go till I'm 60. What's the benefit in turning 60? Colonoscopy. That's what it's, that's what it's gonna be. You know, our bodies, they just don't last, right? I mean, we're just kind of we're kind of here today and gone tomorrow. But God being for you, can you imagine if we just took that one phrase and we just repeated it in our mind again and again and again this next week, how it could change the whole trajectory of our life? Some of you are going to be going to work this next week, and you got a hard week ahead. you got projects. You you have deadlines. You, You have a boss that's difficult. You have coworkers who are difficult. You're walking into a meeting, and you don't even know, know how, for sure how that meeting's going to go. Wouldn't it be encouraging just to remember that God is for you? Some, some of you are teenagers. Some, some of you are college students. And as this semester comes to a close, you're getting closer and closer to the tests that really matter, the ones that really are really going to make your grade. And you're stressed out, and you're anxious, and you're a little bit overwhelmed. Isn't it comforting to know that God is for you? Some of you are parents today. And you're struggling to have that conversation that you know you need to have with your teenager. God is for you in having that conversation. Some of you are just absolutely exhausted because the kids are fighting once again and you just feel like you don't have any strength anymore. God is for you. God is for your marriage being everything that you hoped that it would be. God's for that dream that he placed inside of you to actually become a reality. God is for you to make the impact with your one shot at life that he has for you to make. God is for you in every manner, in every way, in every circumstance. God is for you. But is that what we really focus on? Let me go to the big board and let me show you what most people focus on today you've heard it said to yourself or others have said this that your ugly past can never be forgiven but is that true because the Bible says in Romans 8 1 there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus why is that because God is for you how about this one you're a loser and you'll never change Maybe someone has said that to you. Maybe you've said that to yourself. Is that true? No, the Bible says this. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone. The new has come. God is for you. How about this one? There's no hope for someone like you. Is that true? God's word says, for surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. Plans for your welfare and not for harm. To give you a future with hope. Why is that? Because God is for you. How about this one? You can't do anything right. Some of you have even looked in the mirror and you've said that to yourselves. Is that true? I can do everything through him who gives me strength. God is for you. Say it with me. God is for you. Turn to the person next to you. Say it with me. God is for you. Do you believe that? How about this one? You'll only give up in the end. You don't have what it takes you don't have the stamina. You don't have the perseverance. You can't do it. Is that true? Psalm 54, 4. Surely God is my help. Isn't that a great verse? The Lord is the one who will sustain me. God is for you. How about this one? God will abandon you like everybody else has. What's the truth? Jesus said, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. God is for you. If you're taking notes, write this down. God is fiercely loyal to you. If you have confessed your sins... Your sins have been washed away as far as the east is from the west. He remembers your sins no more. And you have now become a child, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. You are his son. You are his daughter. You are a prince. You are a princess. And God is loyal, fiercely loyal for you because God is for you. Listen, you can worry or you can trust God. And Paul says, I'm going to trust God because God's big enough. He can handle this. Do you believe that God's big enough to handle what you're facing? See, a lot of us a lot of us don't. And that's why you worry all the time. How big and bad is your God? I remember years ago, I was at a, a movie with my in-laws. All my in-laws came into town at one time. It was quite the, quite the time. And uh, they, all, they all came And I said, well, let's go to a movie. We'll go to a movie. We went to Cottonwood Mall and we went to a movie. And afterwards, when you get done with a movie, two hours long, you gotta go to the bathroom. That's what you have to do. And so we headed for the bathroom. There's a lot of congestion, people coming and going from the bathroom. And my father-in-law, uh, who's kind of oblivious, this is the nicest guy you'd ever meet, but just kind of oblivious. He bumped into a kid who was about 21, 22 years old. He didn't mean to. It was just a lot of congestion going on. And uh, my father-in-law thought so little about it that he just kept on walking to go to the bathroom. But the kid who got bumped into was offended, and he began to curse at my father-in-law. And yell at him and scream at him and use all these four-letter F bombs all over the place. And my father-in-law is like, I don't care. And he just kept walking. And I thought, you got to be kidding me. You're 21, 22 years old, and, and you're talking trash to a 70-year-old man. I mean, get a life, would you? So I didn't think anything of it. He, he didn't care. He walked on in. Well, my problem was with my brother-in-law, who was about the same age at the time. His name's Andrew. He got really mad. And he got in the guy's face. And he starts telling that guy off, I can't believe you talk to my dad like that. You have proper respect for your elders, on, 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 on. And so this guy's jawing over here, and this guy, Andrew's jawing over here. And they're getting closer and closer. And I thought they were going to kiss, was what I thought they were going to do. <laughs> you ever notice two guys, they start over here, and then they end up right here in each other's faces? That's what happens, right? They get as close as they possibly can. And I think, oh, man, Andrew, I can't believe you. It's, just let, it's a small offense. Just let it go, man. But he wouldn't let it go. He just wouldn't let it go. Well, then it got worse because two of the guy's friends came out and stood behind him. I said, that's not good. I mean, that's three on one right there, you know. Andrew's got himself a big problem, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you about that. One of the things you need to know about me if you don't know me very well is I'm extremely loyal. If you're my friend or my family member, I will do anything for you. And I will stand by your side even when you're Stupid. And so Andrew's giving it, these three guys are giving it now to Andrew. And so I said, all right, it's on. (laughs) So I go, I stand next to Andrew, and I'm thinking, Smith and Wesson, do your work right now, man. Let them know guns are available right now. And I'm thinking, I'm thinking at this point in time when they see my mammoth pythons, that at that point in time, they're just going to say, oh, we're so sorry. We didn't mean to say anything. But they didn't. They kept going. And I thought, well, this is just great. Thanks a lot, Andrew. Tomorrow's newspaper headline, local pastor gets in fight with punk kids. Thanks a lot. And I was nervous, I was worried, I was concerned. But then I saw in my peripheral, my other brother-in-law, his name's Matt. Matt is six foot four, plays college football at the time. Solid muscle, he's an FBI agent. Today, nobody messes with Matt. And Matt stood next to me. (laughs) And those guys, when they saw the size of Matt, got scared to death. And they apologized and they walked away. And I thought, yeah. You better apologize. When you're in the the presence of someone powerful, it gives you confidence, doesn't it? Paul says, "Listen, I'm in in this jail cell, but you know who's sitting right next to me? God Almighty. I'm in the presence of God Almighty, and nothing is impossible with Him. Nothing is too difficult for Him. So why would I be worried?" Don't I believe that he is in control? Don't I believe that he can take care of me? Paul says, I'm not going to waste my time with this silly stuff. Either you're going to worry and make yourself sick, or you're going to trust God. What's it going to be for you? Because I know what you say, because you say the same things I say. But then when push comes to shove and something's out of your control, do you trust him or do you worry? So Paul says this, I'm not going to do it. I got someone far greater than, than anything I've ever dreamed or imagined. He can handle that. I'm going to give it to him. I've read, read a very convicting story this past week about a guy by the name of Joseph, Joseph Merrick. Joseph was born with severe physical deformities. His deformities were so bad that his own mother abandoned him at the age of four. Can you imagine? At the age of 14, nobody wanted this kid. And he ends up on a sideshow for a circus. Here's what his role was. He was put into a dark room. People would pay a shilling, and then they would open up the door. It would be dark inside. They would shine a flashlight on him, and when women and children would see him, they would shriek in fear and scream. That's what he did day after day, week after week, month after month, year after year. Stuck in a cold, dark room. Knowing that every few moments someone was going to come in, shine a light, and then you would hear the screams because they had never seen someone so disgusting as them. Would you want that to be your life? There was a doctor, uh, his name was Frederick Trevis, and uh, he wandered upon the sideshow and heard about this strange sight that people had seen that made them shriek in horror. He paid a shilling, he went inside. And they flashed the light, but he didn't scream. His heart broke with compassion for the kid. He went to the circus owners and he said, is there any way that I can medically examine him to see what's going on with him? And the circus owners were like, sure, absolutely. This is what Travis wrote about what he saw. A bone mass protruding from his brow, spongy skin, a misshapen head, the circumference of a man's waist. His mouth was distorted, his nose was dangling lump of skin his right arm overgrown to twice its normal size, his fingers were stubby and useless, and he had deformed legs that couldn't support his body weight. Travis tried to have a conversation with Merrick, but his mouth was so severely deformed that he couldn't speak. And so Travis just thought that he was nothing more than an imbecile and handed him back over to the circus. Before he handed him back over, he gave him a card and said, listen, if you ever have a physical issue that you're concerned about, give me a call I'd be glad to help you any way that I can. He went home. He didn't think anything more about it. A year went by, then two. Then one day he got a phone call. It was the London police. They had found Merrick in a corner in a London train station, in a dark corner, all in the fetal position, weeping like a little baby. They said, the reason we're calling you is we found your name and number in the, on a card in his pocket. We tried to have a conversation with him, but we couldn't understand anything that he was saying to us. Maybe you could come and you could help. Travis got in his car, drove, found Merrick in that state, took him back to the hospital. That's where Merrick spent the rest of the days of his life. You know what he found out, Travis found out? He found out that he wasn't an imbecile, that he was a highly intelligent person. It just took a while for him to decipher the words that were coming out of his deformed mouth. He found out that Merrick had a deep love for Scripture, loved to read the Bible and he had a deep love for Jesus. He loved Jesus with all of his heart, and soul, and mind and strength. He believed that Jesus one day would take him home to be with him in heaven and that that body that was broken down and deformed, that he'd get a brand new body, a body that would be painless, a body that would be powerful. Well, you just wouldn't think that, would you? you think that person would be blaming God for his lot in life and yet he's not blaming God. He's praising God through it. One day, Travis had a situation where he asked one of the ladies that worked there at the hospital if she would go and approach Merrick and shake his hand. He wanted to observe to see what Merrick would do. He said what happened next astonished him. This is what he wrote. The effect upon Merrick was not quite what I had expected. As he let go of her hand, he bent his head on his knees and sobbed until I thought he would never cease. He told me afterwards that this was the first woman who had ever smiled at him and the first woman in his whole life who had ever shaken hands with him. Travis introduced Merrick to the world of nature. Boy, he loved to be outside. He loved wildflowers. He loved songbirds. Travis would ask him from time to time, how are you doing? He said, I'm happy every moment of the day. Happy every moment of the day. Joseph Merrick died at the age of 27 you know him as the elephant man. This is what Travis wrote about him. He said, I'd never heard him complain. Never heard him deplore his ruined life or resent the treatment he had received at the hands of callous keepers. How's that possible? Robbed of his childhood, treated like a wild beast, yet he emerged with such a sweet, pure heart. And even though he had walked through the valleys of doubt and despair on more than one occasion... He will look at you and say, I'm happy every moment of every day. That's a guy who has the ability, to forget the bad and remember the best. To count the blessings of God, to realize that this is not my home, that I'm going to a better place, and that Jesus is going to make everything new again. Listen, all the scars and all the wounds and all the silliness and all the things that don't make sense aren't going to help you if you focus on them. Focus on Jesus the author and perfecter of your faith. Keep getting back up again. Keep trusting in Him. He's going to use it for your good and for His glory.
2: I was free, I'm free, for he don't have a hold on me, no I'm not gonna cower, I'm not gonna flinch, I'm not gonna run from this, I will stay. No.
4: how do we get more out of the word of god first thing is you got to begin by setting a time every day where you get alone with god And this isn't every one or two days. You do it every single day. You make an appointment with God just like you'd make an appointment with anybody else because we make appointments for what's important to us. And I want to warn you, when you try to do this every single day, there's going to be distractions. Your phone's going to start sending text messages. That's what's going to happen. You're going to start getting text messages. You're going to get distracted. The television's going to be on, and what's on the TV is going to look more exciting than what's on that that page of that Bible. Uh, Your child, a demon, is going to enter your child at that (laughs) moment. Well, not really enter, but be, they'll act like they've got a demon inside them. They're going to be going crazy. You're like, i got to go deal with my kid. And you'll be, don't do it. Every day, set a time to be alone with God. Secondly is this. Make sure you have an easy Bible to read. I, 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 I hark on this all the time. This is the King James Version. Same verse. I'm going to show you the New Living Translation as well. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way by taking heed thereto according to thy word? I don't know anybody that talks like that. Let me show you the same verse in the New Living Translation. How can a young person keep, stay pure? By obeying your word. <laughs> Seriously? Some of you have got old Bibles. You, you've tried to read them and they don't make any sense to you. Get a New Living Translation of the Bible. It's easy to read. It's easy to understand. And then start in the right place. Uh, Some of you started reading the Bible after week one. you, You felt so compelled, and you started in Genesis. And you said, what's wrong with that? That's how you read a book. You start at the beginning of the book. That's how you read it. Did you forget that the word Bible means books? These are 66 different books. Now, there's nothing wrong with Genesis. My daughter and I, Cammie, we just finished reading Genesis just the other day. It's a wonderful book. I want you to get to know Jesus. I want you to read one of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. You say, How do I remember that? Luke, I am your father. (laughs) See? You go to the SageBrush app, you open up, hit the Bible icon on the bottom, and then you go to the New Testament reading plan. I put that together for you. And all you do is you start with Luke, and when Luke chapter 1, that's your goal, one chapter a day. You read Luke chapter 1, and then that passage will disappear, and you'll see, you'll never lose your spot, all right? So start in the right place. Don't try to read too much too fast. When you sit down for dinner with your family and the, the meal has been prepared and it's been served, do you look around the table and go, one, two, three, go! And, and you try to eat it. No, you take your time. You enjoy every bite, right? Please tell me that's how you do it, right? <laughs> Don't try to just get through it. I know people that just read the Bible. I gotta read the Bible.
3: <laughs>
4: I'm done. Seriously? Here's the big question I always ask myself when I read the Word of God. You ready for it? Why is this here? Why did God go to such trouble for me to have this? For this story, this passage of Scripture, what does he want me to know? And how how does he want me to apply this to my life? Picture the setting. Capture the emotions of the people. And then read the daily devotional on the Sagebrush app. It'll re-emphasize the things that we talked about over the course of the weekend. But when you're reading your Bible and you're not sure what it means, this is why the study notes are so important. At the bottom of each page of a good study Bible, there's notes that explain what happened above. So you're like, you're reading something like, I don't have a clue what that was about. Look down below at the notes that are there. And then lastly, get yourself in a small group. And why do I want you in a small group? Because they'll hold you accountable. Because they'll look at you and say, hey, what would you read this past week? What's God been teaching you this past week? And you and I both know that we're lazy. And left to ourselves, we won't get very consistent in this. But if someone's going to ask us the question, if we're going to be held accountable, there's a much greater chance that we're actually going to do it. Let me ask you a question. If you were uh, stranded on a deserted island and you could only have one book, what book would you want? Most of you think you know the answer, don't you? G.K. Chesterton was asked that question. Stranded on a deserted island, which book would you like to have? They all thought he'd pick a Bible. He was one of the most prolific writers in the early 20th century. Just made sense he'd pick a Bible. He said, I would like Thomas's Guide to Shipbuilding. <laughs> they asked him why. He said, well, doesn't it make sense? If you're stranded on a deserted island, you want a book that can get you home. You want a book that can save you. There's only one book that can get you home. There's only one book that shows you the way to be saved. What are you going to do with your Bible? Why'd they do it? Because Christ's love compelled them. Look at what the Bible says. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all. And those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them and was raised again. Jesus died for me. He rose again for me. I'm going to live my life for him. I'm going to leverage my life for him. He has changed everything about me. And I've got to share it with everybody that I know. That's the reason, right? That's your reason. That's why you're the church. And what's your reward? Well, the Bible says that even when you offer a cup of cold water in his name, that he will reward you for that. It's going to be a day, and we'll talk about it in a few weeks, but it's going to be a day for the Christian where you're going to stand before Jesus. and It's not going to be a, a judgment where you're being condemned. It's going to be a judgment where you're rewarded for the acts of mercy that you did in his name, for the way you leveraged your life, for something bigger than yourself. God himself passes out the rewards. He doesn't allow angels to do that. He does that. What's your reason, friends? Why are you living the way you're living? What's your reward? Are you living a significant life? Are we truly leaving a legacy behind? I think it would be fun if we could go back 2,000 years ago to the very first century, the very first church in Rome during that time, and we could interview some of the people on the street. We'd say, listen, 2,000 years from now, who will people be still be talking about during your generation? And I think people would scratch their heads a little bit and say, I think, well, people would talk about Caesar. And people would talk about Nero. We'd say, well, wait a second. Isn't there some new movement that's happening right now called The Way? It's about Christians, followers of Jesus. Don't you think people are going to talk about them 2,000 years from now? And I think they'd say, no. They're a bunch of insignificant people. No one's ever going to talk about them at all. you say, well, are you sure? They're pretty impressive people. I've heard about some of the leaders of their church, Peter and Paul. And there's some neat ladies in there, Mary and Martha and so many others. You sure nobody's going to be talking about them 2,000 years from now? And I think they would look at you and say, I'm telling you right now, no one's going to talk about them. They're always getting themselves in trouble. They're always being thrown in jail. They're up against the Roman Empire for pity's sake. And here we are 2,000 years later. And isn't it interesting that we name our kids Peter, Paul, Mary, and Martha. And we name our dogs Caesar and Nero. (laughs) Why is that? Well, Caesar and Nero built a kingdom of mud that didn't last. Peter, Paul, Mary, and Martha built the kingdom of God. And you can't stop it. You can't stop the church. Because the church is these sold-out people... And their reason is Jesus, and their reward is to hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's our reason. That's our reward. And that's why the church has never been shut down. Because no matter what happens, this world can't shut you down. I was reading this book by Brian Jones. It's called Hell is for Real, but I wish it wasn't. Great book. This is what he writes in the book. He says, It shouldn't surprise us that most Christians don't have a clue what happened at their conversion. He said, this shouldn't surprise us. Have you seen the evangelistic appeals that pastors and church leaders give to non-Christians? They sound like invitations to buy something from the home shopping network. Folks, for the next five minutes, the opportunity to change your life is staring you right in the face. Don't wait. All you have to do is follow these easy steps, and you'll be on your way to a happy, successful, and fulfilling new life in Christ. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul talking this way? He continues, contrary to what you might have heard when you crossed the line of faith, you weren't saved from a mediocre version of of your life the day you came to Christ. (laughs) You weren't baptized to escape a life of boredom. You weren't reconciled with the Creator so you could live with meaning and purpose, free from a floppy waistline and dingy yellow teeth. Instead, Jesus rescued you from falling into the hands of someone larger than your mind can conceive. Stronger than the combined strength of a trillion nuclear explosions. A holy God. Destined to unleash the complete unrestrained force of his wrath on you for offending his holy nature. That's what you were really saved from. But we don't think about it that way. That's exactly what the Bible teaches. So who's he unleash his holy wrath on? His son. God watched it. He watched Jesus be punched and spit upon, blindfolded, beaten. He watched his son be tied to a pole and a cat of nine tails, a whip, whip his back and his chest. He watched them lie about him, accuse him, convict him. He watched as he picked up his cross and took it to Golgotha, the place of the skull. He watched his son willingly lay down his life with nails in his hands and his feet and a crown of thorns upon his head. And for six hours one Friday, God the Father watched his son suffocate slowly. Why did he do it? Well, if you've placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, if he is the leader and forgiver of your life, you're as close to hell today as you'll ever get. He did it for you. He did it to rescue you. Now, some of you are sitting here today, and you're like, well, thanks a lot, Todd. Brought my friend. (laughs) You just scared the hell out of him, tell you that right now. (laughs) Well, I hope I did. I hope I scared the hell out of you, too. If there was something I could say to convince you not to go there, I would say it. Listen, this is, this is why this church exists. We exist to know Christ and make Christ known. See, around here, we really do believe that there's a heaven and there's a hell, and that people really do go to one place or the other. So around here, we take the message of Jesus really, really seriously. And so we learn the message of Jesus, we share the message of Jesus, and we share it to the best of our ability because we understand what's at stake. Your eternity is at stake. So i got to ask you a question. Do you know for certain that when you breathe your last breath on this earth, you'll breathe your first breath in heaven? Do you know where you're going? Because if you don't know where you're going, it's not safe for you to die. Do you know? Have you been running away from him? Have you been pushing him away? You're running away from love. You're running away from peace. You're running away from purpose. You were made by God for God to have a relationship with him. And here's the amazing thing. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've done, no matter how screwed up you are, he still loves you. And he's still extending his hand to you to have a relationship with you. He wants to prepare a place for you in heaven so that you will never be apart from him ever again. But if you say, get that hand out of my face, I don't want anything to do with it. Don't be surprised. When he says, depart from me, I never knew you. And it just doesn't have to be that way. Friends, Let this be your wake-up call.